Uh, I was thinking about it this week, but from the time that we are born, we have a really kind of interesting relationship with the future. I mean, when you're young, life is full of endless possibilities and so much promise and anything's possible. And, and so we spend all kinds of time dreaming about what our life could look like and will look like as we get older. And, and to dream and to plan seems to be almost hard-coded, hardwired into our DNA. I, I, uh, I'd seen this picture before. Uh, but I ran across it again this week, uh, and it made me laugh, and I wanted to share it with you. A little uh, elementary assignment. What are the three things that you want to do in the future? Um, this kid wrote, number one, get a girlfriend. It's a good place to start. Number two, kiss her. Uh, and number three, rule the world, uh, which is not a bad uh, life plan, if you ask me. Uh, but when you have little kids, and they reach a certain age, it's only a matter of time before someone asks them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always enjoyed having those conversations with my kids. And uh, when they were little, like they, those conversations always kind of went in different, different ways. You know, sometimes I just sort of lean over and eavesdrop and kind of figuring out what they're going to say. And then sometimes we're the ones having those conversations. And my kids were always torn between like extremes. Like sometimes they were like, man, I just want to be a missionary. And, you know, and, and then some other times they're just like, I'd really like to work at Disneyland. And then sometimes, you know, they were like, I want to be an engineer or a veterinarian. And then other times they're like, I just think it'd be super cool to work at McDonald's. I mean, it just seems like such a fun place and there's food, like the food you love and like, what, 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 a, that should be the greatest job ever. And it's like, well, I mean, the food is, yeah, absolutely. And then my oldest son, Jaron, uh, he, when he was like 10 or 12, he was like, dad, when I grow up, I, I think I want to be a grandpa with a big belly like you because it seems like men with big bellies are just happier and nicer, which I think is a true life principle. And so if there's anything you take out of this morning, it's like, it's time to put on some weight, fellas. You have my permission just to get jolly and be a little happier. But, but it's interesting because we don't ask kids, what do you want to do? We ask them, what do you want to be? And, and language matters, right? And it's like we, we take two different questions. We take, what do you want to do? And who do you want to be? And we sort of smash them together into one question is, what do you want to be? And because the answer we're obviously looking for, the reason people ask that question is they're looking for a job, right? Like they're looking for the answer is a job. And, and so the subtle message from the time that we're barely old enough to dream or to think or even to talk, to think about our future, the subtle message in our culture is you are what you do and ultimately your job will come to define your life, right? And the thing is, is it's okay to have a, a funny answer to that question when you're a kid, but it gets a lot more complicated and it's not quite so funny when you're an adult. So last week we kicked off this series called I Need a Vocation because this conversation your work is such a huge part of your life, whether you are full-time, fully employed, you know, you have a job that you get paid to do or not, and you spend so much of your adult life working that you can't afford to waste this. You can't afford to, to get it wrong, but it is complicated because the, the problem is if our purpose and meaning and happiness and fulfillment are dependent on us having a certain job or getting or achieving certain outcomes in our life and then you get it and or lose it or you can't get it, you will feel lost in your life. 
And we've all known those people who, who everything about their life was defined by the thing that they did and they got that thing and it felt like everything was right, but then it went away or they retired or it just, things were beyond their control or the economy or whatever. And it went away and they were completely lost. And maybe you don't just, haven't just known some of those people. Maybe you've been one of those people. See, work is bigger than your job or money, but of course your job and money are part of it. And in the end, you are not what you do, but you have to do something. Now, at the same time, you definitely have dreams or passions and goals, or at least you should. And and how do you fit all of those things together with whatever it is that you find yourself doing right now? How do you know what you're supposed to ultimately do with your life? Like, like, have you ever met someone who seemed like they were doing the thing that they were just meant to do? Like, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is, it's like you were created to do that thing. They're passionate about it. They're good at it. And it almost just seems like, man, it's like, it's like a calling on your life, which is really cool, but it's a little bit unsettling if you don't feel like you've sort of experienced that in your life. Because it, it makes us think of someone as being divinely chosen to do a certain job when we think of a calling. And it's not like we're pulling that idea out of thin air, especially if you're a follower of Jesus or you've read the the Bible at all, because those stories are everywhere. In in Exodus chapter three, God meets a guy named Moses on the backside of a mountain in a burning bush, and he gives him explicit directions, and it changes the course and the work of his life. In Acts chapter nine, God meets the apostle Paul on a road and he blinds him with a powerful light and knocks him off his donkey to get his attention. And then he gives him explicit directions and it changes the course and the work of his life. In Luke chapter one, God sends an angel named Gabriel to get the attention of a teenager named Mary. And he gives her explicit directions and it didn't just change the course and the work of her life, it changed the entire course of human history. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if God would do something like that for all of us? If he would do something like that for you, where he would just show up undeniably, very visibly, very tangibly and say, this is what I want you to do with your life, right? Think about the amount of anxiety and pressure and second guessing it would eliminate in your life where people are just like, are you sure that you're doing the right thing, that you should be doing that? You could just be like, yeah. Like God literally, do you not remember like the burning bush? Do you not remember the angel? Do you not remember I got knocked off my horse? Like, do you not? Yeah, God told me to do this. But the truth is most of us kind of just feel like when it comes to this, we're just sort of guessing. We're just sort of feeling it out. We're just sort of feeling around in the dark. I don't know, maybe I'll go over here and I'll try to do this thing. I'll I'll maybe try this job or I'll I'll maybe go to this school or I'll maybe, should I start a business? I mean, is this a thing? I don't know. Does anybody want to pay me to do this thing that I'm trying to do? Like, hey, you know, I I don't know. What what is it that I'm supposed to do? And, And no matter how old that you get or how long you've been in the job that you're in, When you start to think about this, it kind of feels a little bit unsettling. It's a little bit scary because the stakes couldn't be higher, especially as you get older, because, you know, like you got people dependent on you, you got bills to pay, but also the stakes are even bigger than that. Because what if you make the wrong decision with your life? What if you get to the end of your life and you look back and you realize like you lived beneath what was possible for you or what maybe God created you to do? Well, what if you get to the end and you're just like, I kind of wasted all this time and energy and effort doing this thing? I mean, we all only get one shot at this thing, right? And, and we're constantly being told that we can do anything, that, that we were made to change the world and so we should dream big and that if we can dream it, we can do it. And 
if we're determined and work hard, we can be or do anything. And the only thing holding us back is us. And so we just should believe in ourselves and just stay positive and ignore the haters and don't give up. And the question is, is all that true? Or is that just stuff that we say? I, I, I don't know. Like, like, for instance, have you ever met somebody where you're like, I don't know, maybe you should give up. Like we all talked and we think you should give up on that. That ain't your thing, dog. Right, like, like a mechanic who fixes one thing but breaks four other things on your car. You're just like, ah, I don't know, maybe try something else. Or if you've been around church, right, you got that tone deaf cousin who thinks she's called to like lead worship on the stage. And you're just like, I don't know, maybe with the mic off, is, is that a thing? Or like, I don't know if you're called to do that, but if you are, you might want to check where that call came from. Before you answer it, see, you should have hopes and dreams. In fact, I think most of us don't dream big enough. One of my favorite books um, is written by a guy named Mark Batterson. He's a pastor in Washington, D.C. And, and a number of years ago, he wrote a book called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And the book is about a guy in the Old Testament named Benaiah. It's a story in the Old Testament. And Benaiah was one of King David's uh, mighty men, and it's a crazy story, and it kind of, the title sort of gives it away, where there's this day, this snowy day, where Benaiah chases down a lion, gets into a pit with it, squares off, and kills it, and, and, and but the book unpacks the story in just really a lot of awesome ways in terms of applying it to our life, um, and, and at the back of the book, at the end of the book, um, Pastor Mark wrote this thing that he calls the Lion Chasers Manifesto, and I love it, I love everything about it, and so I keep it on my computer. I read it all the time. And, and so um, I, I'm going to read it to you today. It says this. It says, quit living as if the purpose of living is to arrive safely at death. Grab life by the mane. Set God-sized goals. Pursue God-ordained passions. Go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Keep asking questions. Keep making mistakes. Keep seeking God. Stop pointing out the problems and become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past and start creating the future. Stop playing it safe and start taking risk, risks. Expand your horizons, accumulate experiences, consider the lilies, enjoy the journey. Find every excuse you can to celebrate everything you can. Live like today is both the first day and the last day of your life. Don't let what's wrong with you keep, from, keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Burn sinful bridges, blaze a new trail, criticize by creating, worry less about what people think and more about what God thinks. Don't try to be who you're not. Be yourself, laugh at yourself, quit holding out, quit holding back, quit running away. Chase the lion. See, we have a really, really big God and you should dream and pursue a life that reflects and honors the size of the God who created you. There's a guy who pastors a church in Oklahoma. His name's Craig Rochelle. He's written a bunch of books. And one of their sort of mantras at their church, he says, we are faith-filled, big thinking, bet the farm risk takers. We will never insult God with small thinking and safe living. And I love that. I love that because God created you for a big life. So you should dream big. But it's one thing for us to pursue an improbable dream and it's another thing entirely for you to tie or rest your entire identity and self-worth 
to whether or not you actually achieve or accomplish that dream. For that dream or that job or that work or that passion or that goal or that status or that achievement to be the thing that defines your life. That's another thing altogether. And so the question is, if some of us don't ever achieve our dreams and others of us have a long road ahead to kind of get to where we want to go, what do we do in the meantime? How do you find meaning and significance in doing something that you never actually dreamt of doing? Because you might find yourself in a career or in a job or in a place where you're just like, this is not what I would have answered when I was five. This is not what I would have answered when I was 15. This isn't what I would have answered when I was 25, but it's what I'm doing right now. And this is an important conversation for us because what you do in the meantime is incredibly important because the meantime is your life. And if those dreams or those outcomes that you're chasing never actually happen, then that means that meantime is even more important because that's all there was. And so how do we make sense of all of this? Well, the place that I want to start is in a, a place in the New Testament called Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, in this letter, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He says, For we are God's masterpiece, He has created us new in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. You and your life, you are God's masterpiece. You are the full expression of all that God has come to create in his essence. When he created you, you are his masterpiece. So this letter was written by the Apostle Paul in the height of the Roman Empire, and so everybody spoke Greek, and so a lot of the original transcripts and and a lot of the original writing was written in Greek. And the word that gets translated in this translation, it's, it's translated as masterpiece, depending on what you read. It might say, you know, workmanship or his handiwork. The, the, word, the Greek word that, that he uses there is poema. It's where we get the English word poem. And so he's going, look, there is something beautiful about what God is expressing and doing when he's writing your story. And, and that you can't see it, but your life is this masterpiece. And when he brings us together, he's putting together this incredible work for the world. See, God has called and created and chosen you and he's invited you into something. The question is, what is it that we're being invited into? And the apostle Paul gives us the answer in this verse. He's inviting you into the good things that God has planned out for you and they're for you that he's got good stuff for you in your life. But they're also good things that he's planned for you to do. And notice in this verse, there's nothing about money or paycheck or profession, or any of that. He's saying that we are invited to do good on God's behalf, that that is our life's work. Last week, if you weren't here, I just strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it. It'll actually make some of the things I'm talking about today make a little bit more sense. But we said this, that that work includes your job, but it's bigger than your job. That, That the work that God has given you to do, it doesn't start when you are old enough to get a job and it doesn't end when you retire. That it's something that God has placed and given and put inside of you for you to do from the moment that you're born until you take your last breath. And that work is that you would take and channel all of your creativity and all of your effort and all of your energy and leverage that for the good of the world and the benefit of people. That there are good things that God has for you and good things that God has for you to do. Which means that your best work may not actually be on the job that you're at. 
and, and that your purpose may not have anything to do with a paycheck. Because if you're only willing to do the things that you get paid for, or ultimately even things that you're just simply passionate about, you may actually miss out on some of the biggest, most important parts of the purpose for which God created you for. In fact, a lot of the people that we look up to most in the scriptures, their greatest contributions had nothing to do with how they earned their living. King David was a shepherd and a king, and, but the, the main way that we interact with his story, the main way that we know him is because he was a poet who wrote a ton of songs and poems that ended up comprising most of the book of, the, of Psalms. The Apostle Paul, which I mentioned a second ago and wrote, wrote that letter that we are reading from, he, we know him as an apostle and a church planner and a pastor, but that's not how he made his money. He made his money by making tents. He was a tent maker. The, the disciple that we know as Luke, he was one of the 12 disciples and he wrote the gospel of Luke. That's how we know him, but he was a doctor. That's how he made his money. See, what, what were they doing? They were doing good things that God, had had, that God had planned out for them to do. Good things that the world would have missed out on if they didn't pursue the things that they were passionate about and gifted in and, and instead just insisted that they had to get paid for them. And here's the biggest truth about your calling, that you were created to be someone, not to do something. That there are things that you are to do, but those things are to flow out of who you become in your life, not the other way around. And the problem is that a lot of us have believed this lie, and that lie is that I have to do something to prove that I am someone. And the something that I do will only prove who I am if someone hires me and pays me to do it, preferably really, really well. Right? Which is kind of silly. I mean, just think about Jesus himself. He was the Messiah, the son of God. He stepped out of heaven into time and space and came to rescue humanity. He became a world-changing rabbi who traveled all around Israel and taught and performed miracles and did all kinds of stuff. But up until he was the age of 30 years old, he was a tradesman. He was a carpenter or a stonemason, just like his dad Joseph was. And in that 10 to 15 years that he worked in that field, I can't imagine that it was the thing that he just got up and was like, this is what I was created to do. This is why I came. This is what I'm most passionate about. No, he knew why he came. He knew what he was here for. But I also can't imagine that Jesus just got up every day and phoned it in. Just think about that, right? Like talk about being overqualified. You're the creator of the universe. You spoke, you've made, you know how everything's held together. You spoke it into existence. What are you doing to earn money today, Jesus? I'm going down to build a bird bath for that crazy lady on Main Street. That's what I'm doing. I mean, it's hard to picture. But at the same time, Jesus was never like, you know what, this is stupid. This is such a dumb job. It's so beneath, it's such a waste of my talents and my potential. Do you guys even know who I am? Like I created that and I created that and I created you. Don't try to tell me how to put stuff together. I know I created, I made all this. No, he didn't do any of that. Colossians chapter three, verse 17 says, and whatever you do, and whatever you do, whatever you do, whether it's something that you're doing or something you're saying, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, to God the Father through him. Verse 23, he says it again, whatever you do. It's so important that he says it twice. Whatever it is that you're doing, work at it with all of your heart as you're working for the Lord, not for humans. 
since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. I, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that whatever means whatever, that anything you're doing now and anything that you can think of fits in, that's a pretty big bucket, that whatever you're doing, that you should put your heart and soul into it, into doing it with everything in you, that you would channel your creativity and your energy and your effort into doing it the very best that you can. Because no matter what it is you're doing, it's something it's about something more than what it is that you're doing. So the way that you're doing it matters because in the end, you're partnering with God for the good of the world and the benefit of people around you. And that deserves your best effort and your best energy and your best creativity. All the work you do, not just the work you get paid for, all the work you do matters and is profoundly and deeply spiritual. Because serving God isn't limited to praying or going to church or reading the Bible or listening to sermons or worship or giving. We actually serve God when we serve other people by doing our work well, by building well, by creating well and serving well. By, if you're a builder, build beautiful things. Build them the best that you can. We serve God when we serve others by doing our work well, by devoting ourselves to our craft. I mean, think of it this way. If I'm on a plane that's going through a massive storm with lots of turbulence and you know things are dicey and we're losing altitude, I'll just speak for myself. It'd be cool if the pilot loved Jesus. It'd be great if they read their version devotional that day. But what I'm really kind of secretly hoping for is that they paid really good attention in flight school and that they're really good at flying and that they're, on their be- they're at their best on that day. Because I want for a big part of the way that God answers my desperate prayer not to die that day to be that the pilots actually know what they're doing. Now, obviously it makes sense when you're talking about like an example like that, whether it's, you know, you don't accidentally become a pilot or a surgeon or a contractor like that. That's something that maybe you dreamed about, maybe you didn't, but you certainly had to learn and train for it. And, and, and you know, there's all this preparation. It's, there's some intentionality behind it. But, but what, what, what does that look like when it's just more everyday jobs, right? Where it's more a service-oriented job or there doesn't seem to be, it's not life or death, right? It's not, there's not so much at stake. How do we bring our passion and our devotion to something that may not be what we've always sort of dreamt of doing with our life? And to answer to that, I think it's helpful for us to understand the definition of the word that's in the title of this series, that word vocation, because it's a Latin word that literally means calling or voice. It's not about finding the perfect job. It's not about some hobby that you're doing. It's you finding your voice. It's about you discovering the voice that the, the, all of the giftings and talents and 
abilities that God has placed in you. It's about discovering who you are and how you're made because once you find your voice, you can apply that anywhere at any time to almost anything. I'll give you an example from my life. So I have been a full-time pastor a a long time. And before I was a full-time pastor, I was a part-time pastor. So, I mean, I've been a pastor for most of my adult life. But there are three kind of base or basic things that I'm pretty good at, that I'm passionate about, that really sort of help make up what is my voice. One of them is that is helping people understand and make sense of themselves and their story. I'm kind of good at that, and I'm really passionate about that. Another one is that I just have a knack for making complex ideas simpler and more accessible, for taking things that kind of get sort of mixed in together and breaking them apart, and part of it's just because I'm simple and I want to understand, but taking that stuff and explaining it to people. And the third thing is that I'm really passionate about and kind of good at inspiring other people towards becoming more, towards a bigger, deeper life, that they don't settle for something that's too small for them. And to be honest, I do a lot of that, those three things as a pastor. I do it all the time. But I can apply that voice in a lot of different ways in a lot of different places. So many of you know for the past you know, couple years, I've also delivered pizzas for a couple nights a week at for Domino's. And, and, and you know what? Like I use my voice there all the time. Sometimes it's with customers. Sometimes it's the people that I work with or for. There's a lot. Most of the people that I work for are much younger than me. Um, they're usually people that are in their late teens and early 20s. And, uh, and I get along, you know, I'm kind of a dad figure in the store. In fact, uh, a couple, we go through a lot of managers, a couple managers ago. Um, he came in after being there for a few weeks and he's like, hey man, I think I have you figured out. Like, I feel like I can relate to you. And I was like, really? That's cool, man. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, and then he started telling me this story about hanging out with his grandpa. And then I was just like, what? And he's like, yeah, you know, like, do you like that kind of music? And I was like, I mean, that's, I mean, that was all before I was born, bro. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, but there's this one kid in particular who works at the store and uh, he's going into his junior year. He's been there for a little over a year. And for whatever reason, he and I just really click and we don't work together that often. And so every time we see each other, it's awesome. Like we hang out, we have a ton of fun. And, um, and last month I hadn't seen him in a while. And uh, I went into work and it was during the depression series that we just finished up um, in May. And when I went into work, uh, I was standing there, I didn't have any delivery. So I was standing there just shooting the breeze with him and and we were talking, and he's like, oh, yeah, what's going on with your church? And I was like, oh, you know, this, this, and this. And I was like, actually, we've been talking about depression this whole month, and it's been really good, and lots of, lots of people just needing help. And, um, and then for the next, like, 15 minutes, we had this really deep, profound conversation about his life because he just began to open up about his own depression and being suicidal, and that's why I hadn't seen him, and he'd been in the hospital, and and it was this incredible moment. Well, see, that happened not because I'm awesome and because those conversations just come naturally to me. It, because I, I feel like it happened because I sort of know what my voice is. 
And so it led to that conversation. And here's the thing, that's just the way that God wired me. There's just things that God placed in in me and it's not better than you, it's just different than you because he's done the same with you. In fact, the apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 12, verse six. He says, in his grace, that it's God's grace that he has given God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well, that there are things that you are good at. There are things that you can do well. There's good that God has planned for you, that he is, that you are his masterpiece, that you fit together perfectly, that he's created you with a voice and you can use that voice wherever you go, whatever you're doing and whoever you're with. See, God isn't a haphazard God. He isn't a one-size-fits-all God. He isn't a God of standardization and conformity and uniformity. No, he has uniquely and specifically designed you and he made you to dream and imagine and create and do good and work and make a difference in the lives of the world around you. God created you to make a world, an impact on and in the world that you're in. And whatever God has for you to do in, your, in the world, whatever it is that he has for you to do with your life, he has placed within you what you need in order to do that. If you go and read the rest of Romans chapter 12, which we don't have time for today, he actually gives a list of some of the things and some of the gifts that he's talking about. And some of them sound really spiritual. So they're like prophesying. You're like, whoa. And then the end of the list, he's like, to the person that's got the gift of kindness. And you're just like, that feels like, like, a, like a second-rate gift. What does God gift you to be? Just to be nice. But here's the deal. You know, you maybe didn't know it at the time, but think back of your experiences with people. You know when you've run across someone who has the gift of kindness. Because those people have a way of making you feel seen and known and loved and filling you up. And you go away from them going, man, I need more of that person in my life. But for all of us, it takes some time and effort and energy to discover and ultimately to develop and to lean into the gifts are the voice that God has put into us. But when you do, when you do, you will, it means that you, instead of trying to find purpose in what you're doing, you will begin to bring purpose to what you're doing because it's inside of you. It shows up with you. You bring it with you. And so you're like, whatever I'm doing today, It doesn't matter if my boss is a jerk. It doesn't matter how small the task. It doesn't matter if my workplace is a mess. I get to bring meaning and purpose and value to this today. See, we're often tempted to think, man, if you just give me something that I'm passionate about, oh boy, I'll show up with all of my energy and all of my effort and all of my care. But in reality, it's almost completely the other way around. It's only that when we begin to work hard at what's right in front of us, when we begin to look for ways to contribute beyond what's being asked of us or what we're being paid for. When we begin to look for ways to make a difference, to leverage our voice, when you begin to bring out the best of yourself to the place that you're in right now, that is when you actually begin to discover what you're passionate about and begin to actually understand what your voice is and how to use it. Whatever you do, 
work at it with all your heart because you're not working for people. You're working for God. But that's going to require you to ask some questions. Like, how, how, can, how can I take how I'm made to be and apply it to what I have to do? Right? Like, what is your voice and how can you apply it to what you're doing right now? Not, not some future version of you, not, not your dream job, not the thing that you're, gonna, you're hoping to land. What can you do right now? By the way, no matter how old you are in this conversation, finding, discovering your voice is almost always about rediscovering an old love. It's about some inescapable truth that maybe has gone silent in your life for a while because when it comes to finding your voice, it's rarely like, oh, I didn't even know that about myself. It's rarely a first encounter. It's almost always a reunion of like, oh, this is why I loved that, right? And it's not about finding what. It's about you discovering why that doing that thing made you come alive. So here's maybe some questions that I think could be helpful no matter where you're at in this conversation in figuring out what are the gifts God has placed in you and how do you leverage those things for where you are? Like, what do you love? What, what, what makes you sad about the world or happy or energized? What, what gets you, like, what problem in the world gets you angry that needs to be solved? What are you good at? But also, what are you bad at. I feel like we're really not great at admitting what we're bad at. How, how can you help make the world more like God intended it to be right where you are? And what are the areas that you've seen success or you've gotten traction in in the past? And don't just look at that thing because that's too small. Zoom out, figure out why you had success and why you got traction and what about that actually made you come alive. What are the people who know you the best? What do they see in you? What are they saying about you? Finally, maybe if you're in that place where you're just sort of pushing back, and you're like, I mean, this is all sounds great, but like, I don't, I kind of hate what I'm doing. Like, what do I do if I don't like what I'm doing right now? Well, I think part of the answer to that is the answer is not nothing, but then there's part of it, you know, and if you've, lived for more than a few minutes, you know this. There's just part of the reality is that nobody gets to do the things they love all the time, right? And so working hard at the things that we don't enjoy is actually what gives us the right to do the things that we love. No matter what you're doing, you're not just working, you're actually practicing because with God, Nothing in your story is wasted. Every decision you make, every path you take contributes to something that you need to succeed at what you were created to do. And if you think about your story and this is true in my life, that there were times where I couldn't see it, but now I'm, that I'm on the other side and some distance has happened and I look back, the truth is, I've learned to be dedicated and focused on what I'm passionate about by being dedicated and focused on what I was doing right now. Finally, a little while ago, we talked about Jesus and his work as a tradesman. And even though he learned that craft from his dad, Joseph, you could argue that he hadn't really done any quote-unquote work that was noteworthy until 
the moment he was baptized. But check this out. Matthew chapter three, verse 16 and 17. It says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and the spirit of God descended like a dove and settled on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Why do we read that? Because I want you to see this, that love and acceptance and joy were given to him and pronounced over him independent of him having achieved or done anything when it came to why he came. And it's then that he went out and did his best work. Then he stepped into and fulfilled and accomplished his mission and why he came. And here's the best part. That is the way that God loves you too. He loves and accepts you and he gives you himself and he gives you his joy and he gives it all to you, not because of what you've achieved or because of your potential or because of what you've attained, not because of what you've done, but because of who you are to him. You don't have to prove anything to anybody, including yourself. Why? Because you're loved and accepted and approved by God because of Jesus. And to make sure that you don't miss the memo, he sent his son to give his life for you. I wonder how different your work would feel for you, no matter what it is that you're doing, if you worked from a place of acceptance and approval instead of working your butt off for acceptance and approval. Instead of chasing some thing and proving something to a parent or proving something to some teacher, proving something to yourself. Because when you get to that spot, it changes everything. Whatever you do, give it your heart and soul because it's not a job. It's not just a task. It's an assignment. It's the situation that God has placed you in to leverage your voice for good. Would you bow your heads with me?